What if your e-commerce store could automatically offer recommendations customized to each person who visited your store on a busy weekend like Black Friday? That optimization could boost your sales substantially. I know that sounds like science fiction, but it's true. Take the journey with me here. Boldbrain analyzes thousands of data points on your store, recommending products to each unique visitor based on search history, past purchases, similar customer behavior, and even where they are in the sales funnel. Cool, right? Here's how it works. Boldbrain analyzes past shopping behavior and suggests the most effective products for you to upsell, cross-sell, or just recommend in a you-may-also-like widget right on your product page. This is all using real-time data collected from your store and your customers. You get the statistically most effective product recommendations for each visitor, increasing the chance of conversion with no guesswork. And what I personally love about Boldbrain is that it is super simple to use. Once it's analyzed enough data, it'll give you recommendations that you can approve with one click, setting them up on your storefront in seconds. And it gets better. Boldbrain starts at free. That's right, you can install this powerful app on your store right now at no charge. Go to boldcommerce.com to learn more or search Boldbrain in the Shopify app store. What's the number one customer support request you get? I bet it's, hey, where's my order? My friends at Ventov, makers of SEO Meta Manager, have a solution for this. It's called Order Lookup, and it lets customers look up their orders, right, good name, with either their email or order number, reducing the order inquiries you get in your inbox. We use it on our own high-volume Shopify Plus client stores like Hoonigan and Yvonne Stells to provide real-time order info to customers with a fully customizable order lookup page so you can keep that thing on brand. And hey, if you're a dropshipper, it even works with ePacket. You can get a seven-day free trial when you search order lookup in the App Store. This is how pros do it. Yeah, we're professional. This is how they used to do it on the Dumont network in the 50s. I don't know what that means, but it sounds good. <laughs> so, I wanted to share briefly a thing my eight-year-old told me that once it was in my brain, I couldn't get it out because this child has proven over and over, he's a poet. I love this story, by the way. It was just me and him. He was Kurt, you know what I hate? I said, what, Tanner? And he said... When teenagers flex with their AirPods. <laughs> and then he just stared at me, waiting for the reaction. He knew he'd said something good. And I said, do you even know what that means? And at which point, that's like, for him, it's a real gamble just to repeat, like, great stuff he's heard. Because he said some, not awful, but inappropriate things where we're like, eh, don't repeat that, that he heard on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And so this one was a gamble. And he never said it again, because I, I didn't follow up on it. I really should be like... I got to go back and tell him, be like, hey, remember the time you said that? That was pretty funny and totally clean and tame. And now every time I see AirPods, I think, I hate when teenagers flex with their AirPods. But you did, he, you asked him if, if he knew what that meant, and he literally, you're like, do you know what any of that means? And he was just like, no. And then just turned <laughs> right, you made him admit it. Yeah, and then I was like, just don't. Well, and it's always the lesson is, hey, like that one was fine, but. If you don't know what it means, don't just go around saying it. You're going to get yourself in trouble. That's how you sound smart, though. You got to say what you don't know what it means. He is smart, though, but he's, you know, he's eat. He is, there's limited knowledge there. My favorite Tannerism of all time being, uh, I think he was six. 
He might have been five. Five or six. He just... And for whatever reason, him and his brother were terrified, not of injuries, but of subsequently applying a Band-Aid. And I guess it was like, you know, ripping Band-Aids off sucks, and it means you got an injury. So he was like wailing about having to put a Band-Aid on for like a blister. He gets the Band-Aid on, and later that day he goes, Mom, my life's just so different with my Band-Aid on. <laughs> and that, that's another thing that's just been rattling around in my head for two years now. So I did, uh, a couple weeks ago... I did the one chip challenge. Are you familiar? Uh, well, I'm familiar because you won't shut up about it. Yes, I'm very proud. And my eight-year-old, who also uh, has tremendous tolerance for spice, I've been building him up for several years now. He did a little bit of the one chip challenge as well. The one chip challenge is this, and this relates to e-commerce in that I bought it online, and it is brilliant viral marketing. Oh, well, these guys are geniuses because you bought a single extremely spicy potato chip. How much did you pay for a single potato chip? For a single chip? It's a tortilla chip. A single tortilla chip, I'm sorry. $7. $7. But you also had to pay for shipping. How much did the shipping cost? So I bought three chips, and I believe all three shipped were like $26 or $27. All right, so you paid $9 for a single tortilla chip because it was extremely spicy. It's in a commemorative cardboard box. I want to know what their margins are because I love these men. (laughs) So this is how they launched the brand Pocky Chips which sells uh, tortilla chips that are notably extremely hot. They sell a ghost pepper chip that I love. If I eat a whole bag, it will reduce me to tears. Two years ago, I saw on the Today Show and a whole bunch of like local news stations, they must have just sent these things out, uh, on-air personalities doing the one-chip challenge, in which you simply have to eat a single tortilla chip that has been certified by the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's hottest tortilla chips at one and a half million Scoville units, and then see how long you can go without drinking milk or ice cream. Just sit with the agony, and then you, uh, then you turn around and you upload a video of this nonsense to the internet. Hashtag one chip challenge. So what you're saying is you paid these guys $9 uh-huh. for one chip, and then you did all their advertising for them. Yes, and in between, they waged asymmetrical warfare against my tongue. I love them so much. I, it's brilliant. And I they're sold out. They can't keep them in stock. Just make the chips, guys. Oh, get the Print yeah. money. When I found out about it two years ago, they were sold out. And a, I think they might have done it the year before that on like a smaller scale, but I didn't hear about it then. So I got on their newsletter. They, I tweeted at them. I said, when's this come back out? They said, get on our newsletter. Sure enough, I get on the newsletter. It's like a month later. They say, one chip challenge back in stock. Within a week, completely sold out. Yeah. <laughs> I love them. I want that. Yeah, it, it really is, uh, is brilliant marketing because you're, inv- you're involving your customer in the marketing. They're doing the, ultimately, they're doing the marketing for you, but you're leveraging like scarcity and social proof and all this stuff at once. Well, it's like extreme. It's a thing, you can- it's a thing in the world you cannot get anywhere else. Yes. And it is the best in its market segment, the market segment being horrific food items. <laughs> and is, like it's accessible to anybody because, okay, yeah, I paid $7 for a chip, but as, the thing shipped is 10 bucks. Well, a majority of people could afford a $10 item for, you know, to as look cool on the gram. <laughs> look cool on the gram. And uh, like just tears streaming down my face. It was brutal. In. All right. So let's get on to like actual podcast content. All right. A couple uh, e-commerce news items. Simon Property Group, largest 
mall owner in America. They don't own our mall. They don't. They own, we're Westfield. They own, yeah, we're Westfield. They own Woodfield Mall, which is my top Chicago area mall. Which you may have seen in the news when someone drove an SUV through it. Yeah, I know. It was awesome. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. You could say it was awesome because no one got hurt. Yes. But yeah, in <laughs> if retrospect, someone got hurt, it would have been horrible. <laughs> well, it was, but yeah, he drove it through the Sears, which is good that he drove it through the Sears. Reduce any sort of possibility of injury if you drive <laughs> through Sears. Ooh, dig on Sears. No one in there. And then he just kind of drove through the mall for a while until he crashed the car. Yeah, the Twitter Twitter video from Twitter user Nips Fall Off. I'm not kidding. <laughs> we saw that going around, and we're like, oh, man, I wonder what how local news will credit this man. And they just credited by, like, Twitter user, like, his first name. <laughs> they did not say Twitter user Nips Fall Off. <laughs> anyway, um, Simon Property Group owns that mall, and that was entirely a tangent. 9.4% of mall units were empty in Q3. That ties the previous record from 2011. So... Uh, 10%, almost 1 in 10 mall units are empty right now. And Simon sees the writing on the wall. They are hedging their bets. So they invested $280 million for a stake in flash sale site Rue Gilt Group. I've seen, I remember like years ago when flash sale sites were huge, seeing Gilt. Um, but I haven't paid attention to it recently. Oh, yeah. They had like an insane valuation, I thought. Were yeah. they the ones that had the, like, you know, some bullshit three years ago where they were like, they're worth $5 billion, billion dollars. Yeah. Like, a lot yeah, of these, I don't think they are. <laughs> yeah. The, these valuations are, are getting a little out of control. I think that's that bubbles popping with what we're, we're seeing with like, we work. Yeah. We work was worth $40 billion two months ago and is now possibly bankrupt. <laughs> so anyway, uh, hedging their bet, they're trying to get into e-commerce. So even the mall owners themselves are getting into e-commerce and they are pushing shoppremiumoutlets.com, which is an extension of their successful pre- their outlet stores, their premium outlets. Um, it's the online version of that, and they claim they've got like an email list of 35 million people, and they're going to market to them with uh, 300,000 products from 2,000 brands. That's kind of cool. I don't know. To see this very traditional company making this very expensive investment into e-commerce yeah i just wonder how they're gonna i mean i could see them doing the if they got a flash sale site there just becomes like a guilt zone in the mall that just is like a pop-up shop like a rotating pop-up shop shop like we have in there's a area in our mall called the cube the cube and it's technically being rented by amazon but amazon swaps out what is in the cube the every, theme. every single month because it was a star wars cube about four months ago it was a batman cube last month i don't know if it's still the batman cube i'm sure they'll switch it there was the audible cube it was the audible cube uh oh the barbie cube there was a the barbie cube yeah so a yeah, barbie cube a barbie cube every month it's something different but yeah it, there's a lot of there's a lot of empty units in our mall that's one of our favorite things to do is when we walk around and a new store opens we just kind of look and we're like oh no they're dead <laughs> that's not gonna work yeah we morbidly take bets on how long that'll last <laughs> yeah there was a there was like a chocolate dessert shop that opened directly next door to our office and it was weird in that it was like sold desserts but there really wasn't any seating also who's eating dessert in a mall that's not like a classic well that was cacao you know, 70 which in yogurt. canada is a very big chain yeah, but cacao here 70, it's not it's a chain there's a lot in canada and so I, I was rooting for him but it's it successful but yeah just walking by and seeing what they were offering and like how they had it set up you're like oh no they're dead they lasted way longer than I thought they would, though. So I think what we're seeing is uh, a convergence where these brick, traditional brick and mortar is evolving. And so is e-commerce as well to include um, these physical experiences like pop-up stores and uh, 
in like in-store retail experiences where you go see the product, but then order it just to have it sent to you. That's how the Amazon cube works. Mm-hmm. I heard Lord and Taylor's doing that with pop-up shops. But and even uh, Google's getting in on the action. They relaunched the Google shopping platform at the end of September, and it does two cool things. You can upload a picture of what you're trying to buy, and then using Google Lens technology, it will suggest similar items to purchase. So you could be like, I like these shoes, or I like this dress, give it the photo, and it comes back with, okay, here's stuff like that, what do you want to buy? And then the, so like, you could go shop in person, and then, you know, screw the retailer by using Google Shopping to find a similar, a knockoff, essentially, online. It also, which is cool, you can, and this is, I feel like a shot across the bow at Amazon, you can set automated price alerts on items when they go on sale, and then it'll even say like, okay, here's the store that ha- the your local store that has it in stock, so you can go pick it up today. So there, we that's that that e-commerce brick and mortar convergence again. And I mean, uh, getting an automated price alert when something goes on sale is just gonna that's so extremely powerful that you're just gonna get so many sales off of that. It's crazy. Common theme here is how much I play computer games, and on Steam, if you have something in your wish list. If it goes on sale, you get an email from Steam immediately. That's like, this game's on sale right now. Do you want to buy it? And, and do I, you? I also have the Steam app on my phone, and my app pops up a notification where it's like, an item on your Steam wish list is on sale. And they always, it's clearly the same trigger because it arrives the exact same second the email does too. <laughs> but yes, uh, twice in the last 24 hours, an item on my Steam wish list has gone on sale, and I have immediately bought it. So I don't know what the, the details are on this thing, but if you're not on Google Shopping, missed opportunity, I would jump on that. Oh, yeah. Some housekeeping items. So we talked in the previous episode about the My Clavio Boston experience and how they're adding SMS, and a lot of excitement around that and a lot of questions as well. And I know I, I think I addressed it then on the show, but uh, people have asked several times, when is it available? They said for flows, so the automated version, that will be available in October this month should be available, uh, and campaigns that comes later, and I don't know what the the exact date was. The other question, you know, people are with SMS, you know, not just Clavio, all implementations of SMS. They're nervous about it. I don't want to annoy my customers. I hope they can unsubscribe. Yes, of course they can. I, you know, I, I didn't explicitly state it. I didn't think I had to. If you reply stop, the customer is opted out. Period. Done. I mean, it's just the way SMS shortcodes work. I'm very intrigued by the SMS thing because on one hand, I personally feel like it would annoy the hell out of me. But on the other hand... See, I don't know that you'd opt into it, though. That's true. I guess... guess that's And to me, that's one of the stumbling blocks is that, like, it requires a very explicit opt-in that I don't think people are used to doing yet. Like, people, people understand giving your email, but giving your phone number for some reason feels more personal to me. So it's like, I feel like it would annoy me. I don't think I would opt in. But then everyone who has implemented it that we know of so far, it just prints cash. Yeah. So oh, it's, it's, like, tremendous. it's hard for me to like marry those two thoughts where I'm just like, I don't like this. This is gross. And then also, oh, no, but everyone else loves it. It prints cash. And when we say implemented so far, we're referring to like SMS campaigns agnostic of app or service provider. Yes. Just you Any are sending S- some kind of promotional yeah, SMS. I'm talking about SMS campaigns in general. But yeah, we're like consistently crazy ROAS numbers where you get, you're getting 99% open rates and like 20x ROI on the spend. Because the catch with SMS is you're bizarrely, and this is the telecom industry doing this, you're paying per text you send. Yeah, which is BS. So do you know what the, 
the supposedly most requested Shopify feature is of all time. Oh, I know. It's order editing. And order editing, according to the Shopify apps team, will start rolling out to merchants at the end of this month, October 28th. So if you have been tearing your hair out every time a customer goes, hey, I placed an order and it's wrong. Can you fix that? And then it you says have to it's go, small, no. but I wanted an extra large. Yeah. Uh, so like that's, and someone asked me, what's the use case for order editing? That's the use case. Person placed an order and then goes, oh shoot, I forgot to add this. Oh shoot, I forgot, I put in the wrong size. Oh, can you help? Oh, you know, yes. The answer now will be, yes, I can. Let me fix that for you. Once order editing is live in the store. And I, for the first time, saw another Shopify, new Shopify feature announced at Unite uh, is in beta right now. I saw it in a client store, shipping profiles. So I feel like this solves a lot of painful edge case issues for people. Let's say you've got a store, you sell a whole bunch of regular items, and you've got one giant item, or you've got one item that can't go second day air, uh, that kind of thing. Up until now, your only option was figure out convoluted shipping rules to add, figure out... Uh, some Shopify script if you're on Shopify Plus to fix it. The new solution is shipping profiles. It's product-based shipping rules. So you can go like, here are my general shipping rules, and then here are the rules for this one edge case product. So if that is a concern for you, congrats. Uh, it's in beta. I believe if you ask, request it from support, they could turn it on in your store. I don't know if that's official. Somebody told me that. Not sure if it's true or not. I may have, may have just hosed myself. Adam Owen says, oh, this is a Paul question. I want to be able to have GeoIP decide what currency to display on the products and in checkout. I've seen a few that say they do this, but it either doesn't work at checkout or you have to not use native checkout, which is another question. What are the pros and cons if you switch, if you do switch from native checkout? There's two questions in here. Uh, Paul, walk me through geolocation. Uh, well, geolocation, and by which we're talking about, like, judging by the, you can sniff out your user's IP addresses, you can trace them back to the country that that person's in. You could even do it down to the city they're in, but you don't even have to go that far to figure out the country they're from. Um, there used to be some free tools that did that, but they're pretty much gone now. So now there are services that do it, um, and that they charge you per, you know, lookup they have to do. And it's just a piece of JavaScript. And every time a user hits your store, it fires and a value is returned. That's like the country code, like US or CA or, you know, I don't know, MX for Mexico. And, and you could then, you can then do a bunch of stuff that's like, all right, well, if it returns US, do this. If it returns Canada, do this. And, you know, all that sort of stuff. What are some use cases for this? Uh, use cases for that. I mean, you can change your... You could, if you're like displaying, you know, free shipping below $50, but if it's someone's in Europe and you're in the US, you want to have the free shipping threshold way higher, or maybe not have a free shipping threshold at all. So you can change content like that. Like if you have a currency switcher installed on your website, you could have the currency switcher default to whatever the currency is that the user is from. Um, you can hide and show content. Uh, if you run multiple sites, you can redirect them to the localized version. Oh, that's Still right. Yeah, you can redirect them to a localized version of the site. We had someone like that, that they were in like Australia, and then there was the non-Australian version. Uh, so there's that. Um, that costs money. Uh, I think you can get away with it for less than, probably less than 200 bucks a month. If you have like a big store, can still do it for less than 200 bucks a month. So this is if I do, I want to just custom 
have a developer customize my theme to do whatever the heck I want. And subscribe and to a have... service. Yeah. You're going to have a service okay. that like gives you access to their API. You get a certain number of requests to their API to find out where the users are from. Do you remember the name of that service? There's a bunch of them. I don't remember. I, I linked it in the Slack channel with that, with that question that someone had one day, a couple days ago. IPlocation.net? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't they know. all generally are, they have the same price. There isn't really much. Just search for IP geolocation service or something. Yeah, there's a whole bunch. Yeah. Uh, the other way you could do it that's free is there's something called the HTML5 geolocation API, I think it's called, which is built into your browsers. And the browser kind of does the request. The browser can request from the computer what country you're in. But it can't do that automatically. So I'm sure you've seen this where you go around on websites and there's a little pop-up that's like, hey, Google.com would like to know your location. Yes, no. And you have to check a box and agree to it in order for it to work with every single site. I've always thought that, that using that was a waste of time because like a, ran- you know, a random website wants to know my location. My immediate response is like, no, you don't, I'm not telling you my location. So I assumed people would not, it, since it required an opt-in, people would not opt into it. But then I've I've had a couple people come back to me in our Slack channel that was like, oh no, I've I've used it and people opt in. Okay. So maybe give it a shot. So hire right, a developer. It, haven't turned it on. The solution is hire a developer to do this. Which, while it sounds technically complex and therefore expensive, when we've done things with it, it really was it's not, not that bad. bad. I mean, the 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 hardest part is getting the location from the person and how you manage to do that. I okay. mean, but there are services that have that. Do it for you. Yeah, they do it silently. They don't have to ask the customer. Um, and as for the separate question where he's like, well, I want to do a bunch of stuff surrounding this in checkout, my answer to that is, don't do that. Leave the checkout alone. That's my thought. Kurt yeah, the disagree. answer, I mean, if you replace the checkout, the biggest issue is your Shopify analytics get jacked. That's the downside. Yeah. I don't think this is necessarily a secret, but Shopify views the true core of their product as being the checkout. Yeah, like, re- replacing the checkout is frowned upon for this reason. And like Shopify's like, that's the one of the best things we do for you is we provide the checkout and do all the things in the checkout. That's the hard part. And so Shopify is, is you know, trying to optimize that checkout. They care very much about optimizing the checkout and having it work great. So you're probably hobbling yourself if you switch it. The alternative checkout systems, like some of the issues, if you're on Shopify Plus, you could customize your checkout. And you could run uh, Shopify scripts to change shipping payment methods uh, and pricing on products for advanced discounts. Obviously, none of that stuff is supported in the replacement checkouts. But if you're not on Shopify Plus, you can't edit your checkout. Being And you don't want to move to Shopify Plus, you could use um, these third-party checkouts that add extra features. So the, th- the three I know of that are the big ones are uh, Bold Brain, or I'm sorry, Bold Cashier, which Staples Canada uses. Uh, Ezra Firestone's uh, ZipFi one-click upsell, and uh, what's the third one? Oh, Carthook, Jordan Gal's Carthook. Like none of them, none of them is bad. That's yeah. also the way the the subscription apps work. When you hit the checkout, it's uh, a clone of the Shopify checkout. You're not in the actual checkout. Now they're adding checkout extensions, which is going to fix that issue. Well, and, and isn't part of? Didn't they talk in at Unite 2018 about all like this multi-currency is going to be built into the Shopify checkout? Multi-currency is live and available now in the native Shopify checkout. All right, so that kind of makes this guy's question almost moot. A lot of people, I don't think, realize that this is available to them. Yeah. So I will link to that in the show notes. 
uh, Shopify multi-currency. The, and you don't have to be on Shopify Plus for that. If you're on Plus, I think the feature it adds is um, rounding rules. So, like, you convert it, let's say your price ends at 99 cents, and you convert it, now it ends in, like, 38. What, on Shopify Plus, it gives you the option where it'll just reround it back to 99. That feels extremely minor to me. It's pedantic. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a big deal. I mean, I, I feel like if you're asking these questions like you have so many international customers you want to do a bunch of goip locations shit and redo your whole checkout and all that sort of stuff you sound to me like a candidate for plus yeah yeah move to plus and then the advantage there is you get the additional support to handle this stuff you're going to get you customize the checkout out of the box if you want to you could use shopify scripts to handle a lot of this stuff uh and you get the clone stores. So if you wanted to run l multiple localized versions of the store, you can. It's all under one account, and you get the multi-store dashboard. Speaking of which, David Aspinall asks, I'm thinking about migrating to Shopify Plus. My question would be, do you see significant revenue increases from clients who migrate that you can only attribute directly to Plus? And as a bonus, what features do you think are the most powerful and game-changing? I like this question. I know. Uh, our general rule of thumb when someone asks us, well, should I be on Plus? What should I do? Is what problem are you trying to solve that you think going on Plus will fix for you? Because, I mean, you could have a great store that sells millions of dollars a year and not be on Plus and be totally fine. But we have clients that have specific to them pains or problems that Plus then opens up a toolbox that those pains or problems can be solved. So yes. it kind of depends specifically on why you think you need Plus. And sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes the answer is... Eh, plus, couldn't really fix that for you anyway. We got to figure out a different way of doing it. Yes. And I would say, well, he's saying, hey, do you see revenue increases for, that you could attribute directly to Plus? If that's the question, the answer is uh, it's because they were able to... They were able to leverage the Plus feature. Yeah, they had a... Before, they, before you sign on to it, you need to have a plan in place where you're going to be able to leverage those features to see that return on investment. In some cases, the brand is so big... The price is a drop in the bucket, and they just want, they're like, listen, I want the best of everything, and I want the extra, the VIP priority support. Well, and don't, don't they get different um, credit card rates? They get lower processing rates. They get lower well. processing fees. So if you're big enough that the lower processing fees, fees pay for Plus, then yeah, you should totally upgrade to Plus no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, at the point, if you're doing seven figures a month, then it's like, well, you just go to it just to save on the processing fees. But there's some other nice stuff, like they'll give you... Uh, nine clone stores well that's where if you want to localize it or you want to use one specifically for wholesale you get that priority support the reduced fees and the other things are the plus exclusive apps which is uh my favorite is launchpad so black friday's coming up you could schedule your sales so you could say this is my my thanksgiving day sale and it swaps in the theme that has all the info in there and it like automatically discounts the products or publishes like the exclusive gift product or uh, swaps out your scripts to change to power a discount without coupon codes. Uh, so that thing's very, launch, Launchpad's very convenient, uh, especially during the holidays. Um, and Shopify scripts is cool if you want to, like two common use cases for that would be if you've got, you want to have these complex sales and not even use discount codes. So you yeah, could just go, do like automatic buy one, get one sales or, you know, yeah, we do that one a lot, you know, just kind of like create a pack of things where it's sort of like, oh, if you buy two of these, then, you know, something else gets added to your cart and that thing is now free. Yes. That they can like add a, as an add on. Yes. And the magic is like, all right, if you're doing a lot of promos with coupon codes, 
the coupon code itself is a barrier to entry. That is a friction point. Shopify scripts let you apply the discounts automatically. No more coupon code. You may then see the con- a conversion lift or AOV lift that then pays for plus just in doing that. Yeah. Um, but I would say it's either like you got a strategy where you know you can leverage those things or you've got very specific pains or problems like, oh man, you know, we've got to add uh, compliance for California Proposition 65. And so now we can customize the checkout. Yeah, you got to edit the checkout. That does it. Like, That's one you've done a couple like times. We've done that a couple times. And legally, if uh, California has this really dumb law called Prop 65, where if someone somewhere in some study at one time in the history of the universe found that one of the ingredients in your products may possibly have caused cancer one time, in California, you need to note that down on forever. your product for forever, the end of time. Till the end of time. Till someone, and if they buy it, and the rules are very specific on how and where and what you have to say in order to warn them. Uh, of course, the problem of this is people in California are just inundated with these warnings at all times. So they're just like, I oh, whatever, I don't even care. Like the entire the entire property of Disneyland yes. possibly causes cancer. Yes, I was there in June or July, uh, and. As you enter the property, there are several signs that say, like, warning, this area under Prop 65 may cause cancer. What? (laughs) Disneyland, the whole park causes cancer. And the answer is, like, yes. At some point, you know, maybe there was, like, Mercury of the Earth. I don't know. The other crazy one is Starbucks. Every Starbucks in California has the Prop 65 warning on the door. Oh, because roasting coffee beans and then the roasted coffee beans possibly cause an increased cancer risk. Yes, so the issue is... Uh, also, all grilled meats cause increased cancer risk. <laughs> you know, I, you, obviously we have to say, say, hey, wow, it's great they're, they're trying to uh, protect people, but when you do it to the point of, like, change blind, where people will have banner blindness, no one is going to pay yeah. attention to the label anymore. If every day of your life you're warned about something that causes cancer 10 times, you're kind of just like, I don't even care anymore. Like, I can't leave my house. Yeah. <laughs> yes, so, that's so anyway, the issue with it. As part of those rules in the checkout, you have to note... Um, what products cause cancer? If it's going to California, if it's going to California, and the wait, and obviously you don't want to do that to every state because people in other states are going to be like, "What? Holy shit! I don't want to get <laughs> cancer. I'm not buying this." So we've implemented a thing where in the shipping field, it if they put California in the shipping field, it sniffs that out and then pops all the warnings up before they purchase. Yes, and you can't do that unless you have plus. Yeah, yeah, you can't edit the checkout in a reasonable way without plus. Hold up. We'll hear more after this quick break. Support for this podcast comes from Simpler, a new way to staff 24-7 sales and customer service on your Shopify store. It works with your existing email and chat tools, so setup is quick and easy. Simpler provides on-demand, US-based customer service specialists to answer your customers' most common questions. Close more sales with Simpler by staffing your email and live chat with 24-7 Simpler specialists. Find out more at simpler.ai. That's S-I-M-P-L-R dot A-I. And now, back to the show. Hit me. Follow-up question, Mr. Dave's, Dave Aspinall's question, uh, who, he owns Chase and Wonder, which has one of the best about pages I've ever seen. Chaseandwonder.com. He writes, what's the best app solution for wholesale? We sell wholesale in multiple currencies with different pricing, not directly linked to a currency exchange rate, and currently use a different platform for this. Handshake, which incidentally was bought by Shopify in May. I'd like to bring our wholesale site so it sits within Shopify, mostly so I could sync with Klaviyo and other automations, which our current provider lacks. Anyone got any solutions that aren't clunky? 
And it sounds like, all right, if you've got... Well, the thing with the whole set, with he has different pricing, but the pricing isn't connected to exchange rates... I don't know how to fix that without the, unless you have multiple wholesale stores. That's the answer. So under Shopify Plus, you get the nine clone stores. So that's how he would do it. And it it's cool. You go, you tell them, you you email your merchant success manager um, or the merchant success team, whichever, and you say, "Hey, I need uh, to clone my store. I'm spinning up a new store. Clone it." And they will, sure enough, they will uh, do. You'll get another store in your dashboard. Uh, that is a duplicate of the first one. Now, is that perfect? There's like a handful of things you got to go finish yourself. So say he has... But it saves you a lot of work. Say he has his standard retail store, then he has like wholesale one, and then he has four other wholesale stores for like four major currencies all... When he makes a change, does he have to make that change five times? Good question. This was one of the big... The big Unite announcements. I'm not even trying to throw you softballs here. I legitimately don't know the answer to these (laughs) questions. So you get... uh, You... If you're on Plus, you have a multi-store dashboard, and I don't know if that's a brand new feature or not. I, I've never logged into the multi-store dashboard. I've never dashboard. seen that. Yeah, so I don't know if it's, it's rolled out to everybody yet or not. The multi-store dashboard, you can have a single product catalog that also lets you, um, like a single product catalog for everything, and then you can make individual changes to even like description, price, whatever, on a per-store basis. So they... they there's a lot of effort put into you can manage this this multiple catalog in a sane fashion. Well, that sounds like the answer to all of his problems. <laughs> Shopify Plus. Well, and so I'm thinking through this for um, a big a client with a huge wholesale store right now, and for wholesale, and they were you they were using bold customer pricing. So you tag and bold customer pricing is cool. You don't need plus for it. They, let's say you, they tag their, cust- their wholesale customers bronze, silver, gold. And like bronze gets 20% off, silver gets 30% off, gold gets 50% off. And then uh, bold customer pricing implements that. But like it's it, like all apps of that level of complexity, including our own crowdfunder, it, like it's a little hacky. It has to do a bunch of workarounds to achieve this. If you, um, so that's option one without plus. With plus, you, can, you could do essentially the same thing just with a single Shopify script where it, you say, and this is like an example script they have that you could just get. You don't need to know code. Just plug in your variables and run it. Um, it's like if customer tag gold, discount all products 20%. If customer tag broads, blah, blah, blah. Um, so you could power the whole thing without having to use an app, without having to mess with like, you know, crazy multivariant setups where there's the discount's a hidden variant and yeah, big pain. Uh, Rachel Reed says, customer retention techniques, exclamation point. I assume she wants us to talk about them. Product replenishment email flow and Black Friday Cyber Monday benchmarks. Kurt, what's product replenishment email flow? All right. Product replenishment email flow. This could be one of two things. (laughs) (laughs) So the... Does that mean how to send people emails when products are back in stock? All right, that would be a safe... That's the first safe guess. Is She's talking about back in stock emails. I don't think she is. Okay. But let's say she is. In Clavio, they have a flow called a back-in-stock flow, um, and they give you a back-in-stock form you put on the product page. When the product's unavailable, it swaps in this form. They put in their email. They go on a list. When the product's back in stock, they automatically get an email from Clavio going, hey, this thing's available. You want to buy it. In an ideal universe, you also run dynamic checkout buttons. So that way, I get the, I'm get i sitting on my couch on a Friday. I see, oh, man, that T-shirt I want, it's back in stock. I'm describing a real event that happened. Uh <laughs> 
This is how I bought a stupid Star Wars t-shirt. Like, months later, I get an email. This thing's back in stock. I click it. I end up on the page. I click buy now, Apple Pay. So, like, start to finish in nine seconds, I bought a stupid Star Wars t-shirt that I like. So that's the back in stock version. Product replenishment flow is very, is different and very clever. Let's say the, the good, ex- you got to sell a consumable good. So let's say you sell coffee is the easy answer. And, oh, no, I ran out of K-Pods or K-Cups, whatever those things are called. And I reorder. So Clavio knows, and I'm assuming like this is a, a Clavio flow because Clavio can predict next order date. You use that to email the person, or maybe you know like, like you sell supplements and you know it only lasts 30 days. You preempt it by sell, sending them an email at three weeks from the order of that product, and you could do flow filter, filter by product, three weeks from when they order that, hey, do you need more? Are you about to run out? Here's a link you could reorder right now. So and you give them a deal you, on it? If you wanted to, you don't have to. Mm. That's up to you. That's the easy part. I like deals. Well, we all like deals. The, so if you're going to do that, use a dynamic coupon code for the love of God, and then you can send a follow-up. <laughs> hey, your coupon code's about to expire. She also mentions customer retention techniques. Also, she says strategies to increase CVR from blog v- visits. CVR, customer value. I think, re- all right, so I also saw CVR and was like, what does that mean? I think uh, CVR is shorthand for conversion rate. Oh. Yeah. People, be be more specific in your questions. I beg of you. Well, and especially for like uh, p- new merchants, people who are, are getting started, if the acronym confuses me, <laughs> if someone's new, they're going to be like, I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> and if we use acronyms on the show or technical terms, I apologize. That is a personal failing. All right. So her first topic suggestion was customer retention techniques. So you want to focus on retaining your customers because customer acquisition costs are so high. Like that's really what makes or breaks uh, direct-to-consumer brands is what's going to cost you to acquire a customer. Um, so customer retention techniques, well, one, is, uh, I think have had- a, one is have a good product and like give them a good user experience with the thing that they bought from you. So yeah, they it don't, starts with good experience. So they don't like hate you after they buy it. And then two, it's just all email. It's email till the end of time. Yes. Yeah, it's going to be staying top of mind with email, having uh, you know, consistent promos, having relevant, valuable content related to it, having um, you know, that, that automation, like, hey, get these accessories, that kind of thing. But also, um, I mean, there are other channels you can look at too. So that's where SMS could come in handy. But I think like it has to start with customer service. It would be like, hey, you got your item, you know, is everything working out? Let us know if you have any questions. If you're leading with either customer service or, hey, like, let's be entertaining and here's a bunch of value. You know, like you're a, um, a Hoonigan Ask a Media company where people are there for that media and the entertainment or like Chubby's where I stay on that newsletter. I won't buy anything for nine months. And I'm just like, I want to see what they're putting out next. I think that's, those are the methods for retaining people. Is it, you're selling as a side effect of the other things you're doing. It's like you now know what they bought. If you have the time and the ability, you want to you want to contact them. You need to stay top of mind. You need to stay top of mind without being salesy. But with in mind, but keep in mind the thing that they bought. So like that is sort of how you're helping them. Like segmentation. Like so if you're selling like home brewing kits or whatever, you're like contacting them about. Well, here's how you need to do it, and like here's some tips, and like how did that turn out, and like stories about it, and like accessories you might want to buy. You know. I think that's really where segmentation gets very strong. 
Oh, absolutely. Is but it can even start with like segmenting post purchase flows depending on the exact product that they bought. Yes. And you know who does a really good job of this is Recycled Firefighter, Jake Starr. Depending on which product you buy, he turns around and emails you like, this is the story behind that product. These are the details behind that product. Hey, I'm doing a 24-hour sale on related product. Like it, he dives into, he looks at the category you bought. Because if I buy a wallet from him or I buy a backpack from him, there's very different purchases. So he will, um, he's going to segment his follow-ups and his campaigns based on that. I think that's, well, you know what? If we distill it down to its core thing, it's be relevant to their purchase. You know what they bought, send them relevant content. Mm-hmm. Always. She asked about BFCM benchmarks. Dude, I have no idea. I don't know. Just like sell a bunch of shit. Yeah. Like, you, know, you just get out there and sell some stuff. Like, what's your problem? <laughs> well, now, it's like, like, don't. It's too broad. It's too broad. The only goals you could set are like your own goals. Like we can't tell you what your goals or your benchmarks need to be. And it's going to be different based on how old your brand is, what you sell. Do you have like, are you direct to consumer? Are you the manufacturer? There's so many factors. In and that. I mean, I guess there are other benchmarks that we sort of have rules of thumb, f- thumb for like email opens and stuff like that. But if like, it's yeah, like about that the moment you're at 15% and under for your email opens, you have a problem. Yeah. You want to keep it at like above 20, but realistically 30 is good or like uh return customer rate. Well, that's a benchmark for Black Friday. You'll probably get a lot of past customers, but I mean, those are all things you would look at in retrospective to decide like, was like this successful? over? Like, did that work out? Like, yeah, I like, think you shouldn't be setting preemptive goals, I guess. Just kind of do the best you can. And I like that she asked about customer attention and then Black Friday benchmarks because I on Black Friday, you're not like acquiring a cold customer on Black Friday. It's going to be people that you're remarketing to from the previous 60 days as well as past customers who may be, you know, eyeballing something else, rebuying or purchasing a gift. Yeah, we talked about this previously in that costs of customer acquisition through November are just going to be through the roof. So trying to acquire new customers is going to be extremely expensive at the content store, AKA, at the, at the, the traffic cost, store, at the traffic store, aka Facebook. Uh, so instead of that, you need to be remarketing to people to keep your costs low. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then she asked a wonderful follow-up question: strategies to increase conversion rate from blog visits. All right. Here is the tactic that Ezra Firestone teaches. I go. This is the example he uses. It's a great example. His market is, um, is women who are concerned about fine lines and wrinkles. So they Google something related to that. They land on a blog post about it. The blog post has an email opt-in at the, in the middle or the bottom. This is called a content upgrade, where essentially you say, hey, do you want to learn more about the topic that this blog post is? And if it's about a product, you say, hey, do you want to get 15% off your first purchase? And immediately you deliver on that. Uh, you also have an exit intent pop up when they go to leave the site that tries to collect their email because we just we need to get them on that email list, get them into that welcome series and build that relationship. And then because they visited that blog post, create a custom audience in Facebook for just that blog post and then send them the offer related to exactly that thing. So similar to the core message of our customer retention answer is be relevant always. Same deal with that's how you're going to increase conversion rate from blog visits. Okay, so we had a lot of good questions today. I want to do one more and wrap it up. Malik, frequent commenter, Malik asks, how often should you be emailing customers, and at what point do you go for the sale? How many value emails should you send before asking for the sale? That's a very... I think you're asking for the sale in every email. 
At you do it of, as a PS. I think at the end of every email, you're just like, hey, uh, you buy this thing. I mean, why not? This I would do it as like, if you're looking for a hard and fast number, it's three to four. But there's people who are going to want to buy right away, and you want to prime the pump on the idea. So I think it's like, it's always entertaining or informative or educational email with a PS, hey, you could buy this right now. You're ready to buy right now, here you go. And then email four is, hey, that thing we've been talking about, you can get it right now. Well, and, and it lets you winnow down the list, too, because obviously if people bought at the end of email one, you don't have to send them email two. Yes. And that allows you to, as you go down the funnel, you tailor the message, because clearly the email two buyers don't ever see email three, so then email three can give a different or harder sell. And then those people never ah. bought by email four, so then email four can give an even different and different sell. Like, you can keep hitting them from different angles. I've heard this strategy called buy or die, <laughs> or I like that one, or buy or get off my list. So it starts like educational, educational, soft sell, soft sell, educational, moderate sell, <laughs> harder sell, extreme sell, you're unsubscribed. Like... Or breakup email. Yeah, I think the la- yeah, I think if four four even feels like a lot to me. I think at four, I think four, you're just like, all right, fine. You get a coupon code. Here's you held out code. long enough. <laughs> good things come to those who wait. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's a a good question. And the other one is, how often should you be emailing customers? As a general question, so the ki- people are out so worried about annoying customers. People's tolerance for pain with emails very high, especially if you deliver any kind of value or entertainment in the slightest. So don't certainly don't spam people, but they're, they, you can get into an issue where if you don't email them enough, they forget. They're like, who is this? When did I sign up for this? And you'll get more unsubscribes by sending too few emails. So I, I mean, and I think you're getting into too few at the point where you're at once a month. I like, I think weekly is the right answer. I really do. It's going to depend on the brand and the content you have available. Um, but I would not want to be sending fewer than twice a month or they're going to be like, who is this? And yeah. just unsubscribe. It's like email them until your list starts shrinking. That's also like, true. Did your yeah. list shrink this month? No. Send more emails. Yeah. Look at your unsubscribe rate. See what it does. And you can also use segmentation. So I'll give you an example um, that I use. I love segmentation. I am doing a, a virtual virtual conference, virtual summit um, for e-commerce tech, and it's about operational excellence for Black Friday. Okay, so I know it's about Black Friday. So I looked at people who opened my Ezra Firestone Black Friday email. If you open that, I know you're probably interested in Black Friday. So you, only if you opened it, do you get the email about this upcoming Black Friday webinar. Then we do a follow-up email to that one, you only get the follow-up if you opened but didn't click the operational excellence one. So it's like, all right, I know you're interested, but you know maybe you got distracted, you didn't have time, so I'll send you a second one. But that way I'm not just spamming the entire list. And I think that's the other approach to get comfortable with sending more email is through that segmentation. You're ridiculous. I Oh, I love segmentation. It's so fun. You're so weird. <laughs> I'm so glad I hitched my cart to a congenital optimizer. Yeah, I am. I'm addicted to optimization. 100%. That's what's going on here. Uh, Closing. Closing. We always need topics and questions for these episodes. And we'd like to help. Our Facebook group is growing. Help us get to 3,000 members in our Facebook group. Search the Unofficial Shopify Podcast uh, on Facebook and join Unofficial Shopify Podcast Insiders Club. We would be 
happy to have you. And happy Halloween. Uh, Halloween's a couple weeks away. I, it's, I love it. You don't love <laughs> Halloween? Uh, I'm too That's old. a no. I'm too old and I don't have kids yet. I'm sure I'll love it again when I have kids. That's a good point. I, for me, it's just like, oh, this is the season in which Adam's family's on loop on the TV. Oh, that cartoon looks bad. I know. I'm not into it. It, it did not please me. I'm a curmudgeon. You'll never beat Raul Julia. No. It's Raul Julia, it's just a, so, so good. He's irreplaceable. <laughs> All right, we're done. Enjoy your time. See you guys. Farewell. Big news from our friends at Out of the Sandbox this month. Their newest theme just launched. It's called Flux. And it's for those of us who loved all the bells and whistles in Turbo, but thought, I need more of this. That's where Flex is a game changer for you. It can be configured in an endless number of ways, thanks to more layout and section options than ever, more granular control of settings, and easy addition of custom CSS through the theme editor. It's perfect for development agencies like ourselves, as well as e-commerce entrepreneurs like you looking to create a unique online store experience for your customers. Now here's the coolest part. Flex has a new Demo Shop Import feature that allows you to fast-track your shop setup based on any of 12 demo shops. You get all of the theme settings, layouts, content, and sections used in that demo shop of your choice applied automatically to your store. You can check Flex out right now at outofthesandbox.com. And if you like it, take 20% off the purchase price when you use code PODCAST20 at checkout. That's outofthesandbox.com and code PODCAST20. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.